Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I, I got here about 9.30 with my wife, Melinda, who's back over here, and uh, she won't wave. There she goes. She waved. Okay, good. Good. She always threatens me if I ever bring her up in front of a group that I'll, you know, it'll be difficult for me from that point forward, so... So I just have her wave occasionally. Um, we got here about 9.30 because I wasn't sure how to get to the building. I didn't want to be late. And honestly, by, by 9.50, I felt so welcomed and so warm, and I felt such a presence of God's Spirit. Uh, you guys have something special going on here, and I can feel that. My wife and I have both, even in the last few minutes, said there's something special going on here. So thanks for the worship team. and. And uh, thanks so much for the prayer team. Had a great prayer time this morning. And I'm excited to talk and share with you today. Uh, but I, like James said, hey, come up and tell us about your, your experience in China, which I want to do, but I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about Jesus, you know, because he's the one, uh, you know, that did it. So people ask uh, my wife, and, and yes, I, I wasn't prepared to talk a lot about golf, but there's some golfers here. Um, I played professional golf for nine years. I had some wonderful experiences. Um, Ultimately, as a professional, I played for nine years in 23 different countries, and it was just amazing. Um, I used to call myself the leading money spender on tour. Um, yeah, I, never, I never made it successfully as a business, as a golfer, but as a single person traveling the world when I had recently committed my life to Christ. I'm 49 years old. Uh, I'm 49 years old and eight days, actually. So I have a little less than a year left before I turn 50, and then people tell me I'm going to gain wisdom at that point. So... So I guess it gets better and better. I don't know. Um, but when I was 24 years old, uh, my life, a lot of things happened good for me. James mentioned I played in the Masters, had some wonderful experience. I had a businessman here in Long Island, uh, gave me a two-year commitment, gave me $140,000, and said, you can travel the world and play golf, which was the dream of my life. So I was 24 years old in the middle of most of my dreams coming true, and I realized I was unhappy and unfulfilled. And so my testimony is that at 24 years old, with a lot of things that I thought I wanted in my life, I accumulated, and then I had a big problem, because it didn't make me happy. And uh, I don't know if you all here are following Jesus and have accepted him, or if it's something you're thinking about, so my hope is that as I share, you'll, you'll be encouraged to pursue a relationship with him, because what happened for me at 24 years old was I called a friend uh, who always told me about Jesus when I was in college. And I used to make fun of him behind his back, of course. Used to call him part of the God Squad and all that stuff. You know, and for years he was faithful, he witnessed to me, he was friendly. And I called him. I had gotten out of college, but I called him. And I said, hey, here's what's going on in my life. I'm not finding fulfillment. Can we talk? And he led me to faith in Jesus. You know, that was 25 years ago, and I'm so grateful for it. So I played professional golf for nine years. And ultimately, you know, that, it was time for me to transition out of that. And I went into full-time ministry. And I've now been in ministry uh, pretty much for the last 16 years. And uh, what, what I'll share with you a little bit of our story today is that my wife and I and our four kids, uh, we, you'll see some pictures of them in a minute. We have four kids. Right now their age is eight, 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 nine, and 11. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, eight, eight, nine, and 11. Three girls... Yeah, the eight-year-old's about to be nine. That's why I was confused. Oh. <laughs> if you do that again, I'm going to call you up here. <laughs> so we, we had the most amazing adventure. Uh, 
We've just come back. We've been home for five months now, but we lived in China, in Beijing, China, for four years. And I'll tell you that story as it relates to walking with God. People ask us, what was, what was the most enjoyable thing about life in China? And I don't mean this as a religious answer. I mean this from the depths of my soul. The thing I enjoyed about China the most was God. Um, because what God does, when you get out of your normal routine, when fear rises up, when you have a crisis maybe, and moving my family to China while it was something we chose to do, it also felt like a crisis. Um, when that happens, you grow spiritually. I don't know if some of you have faced health crises in your life or a financial challenge or maybe even a relationship challenge. But, you know, it's not that God might, he might not be causing that to happen, but he allows his work to be done through us in the midst of challenge and struggle. So if you're facing a challenge or a struggle right now, recognize God grows us in those things. You know, the book of James 1 says, count it pure joy when you fall into trials of various kinds, you know, and... uh, I don't see many people with that as a life verse, James, um, but, but they do, but it does. So the thing I enjoyed and we enjoyed the most about China um, was God. God showed up, and if I summarized it in one sentence, I would say, God blew us away with his faithfulness while we were in China. Uh, my faith grew dramatically, and I've been in ministry for 16 years. I'd been in ministry for 12 years the day we left, and I felt like my whole relationship with Jesus went to a new level. Um, so here's what happened to us. We, we have four kids, and um, two of them we've adopted from China, absolutely precious little girls, and we've got a biological girl and a boy. And in 2007, we went to Beijing. We went to China. My wife and I were there for two and a half weeks to adopt our fourth child, so our second little girl from China. And the way the adoption works is you go for two and a half weeks, and we went to three different cities. We start in Beijing for three days. We move to a second city where we then get our little girl, Then we go to a third city where we complete the adoption at the U.S. Embassy. Then we come home as a family. So we went to Beijing in uh, November 2007. And the first full day that we were there, we were staying at at a home with some people. And God told us we were going to move to Beijing. And uh, it was unbelievable because it was unmistakable. I felt it in my spirit. um, And I mentioned it to my wife and without even really, you know, she said, yeah, I think this is something God's saying. My mother-in-law was traveling with us as well for the adoption. We told her that first night. She went to bed, woke up the next morning, came down for breakfast and said, yeah, God told me you're supposed to go to China. I don't know how you hear from God. God speaks in all different ways. He speaks out of his word clearly, and everything's got to line up with that. Um, But I had a crisis on my hands right away because our life was good in Florida. I was really enjoying it. played golf all the time and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but we felt like this thing was stirring. So what I did, and what I'll do through my, my talk, my few minutes here, is I'll reference the life of Abraham a few times. Because what I did in 2007 is I went to the life of Abraham and I started reading. Um, because Abraham was a man who was just living his life, and God came to him and said, I want you to move from where you're comfortable, from where you live, to a whole different place and start a relationship with me in a brand new way. And uh, I just related to Abraham because I felt so much fear in the midst of it. But here's what happened. We, we prayed, and we traveled after three days from Beijing to our second city. We had been in the second city. I spent 45 minutes to an hour a day walking this, this city called Nanchung. Nan uh, so it kind of be like where Atlanta, Georgia is in the U.S. map. I fasted for a couple of days, and I say that just to say, we're taking this really serious, right? So we had been praying for about nine or ten days, and it's the night before we're going to go to our third city. 
And my wife says to me in bed, it's like 9.30 at night, she said, hey, we've been praying for over a week. What, what are we going to do? Do you think God's saying go to China? And uh, I said, you know, I don't know for sure what he's saying, but here's what I can tell you. There's no way that I'm going to move our family to Beijing unless I see a giant blinking neon sign <laughs> right, telling us what to do, right? Because this is like, you know, just meaning this has got to be perfectly clear, right? So with that, we fall asleep. Next day, the whole day's travel, taxi, airplane, airport, taxi, check into the hotel about 9 at night, go up to the seventh floor, and uh, we're checking into the room, and I always like to kind of look out the window and get the lay of the land. So my wife's working with the baby and getting stuff put away, and I walk over to the curtains, and I open the curtain, and it's a completely flat landscape, and it looks out over a river, and the only thing in my view is a 30-story office building. So picture a rectangle, 30 stories high, and at night it becomes a giant blinking neon sign. And I'm completely serious about this, like purple, yellow, green, orange, and it's advertising the Olympics. So this is November 2007. The Olympics are in Beijing 2008, and this giant blinking neon sign 30 stories high is saying, Beijing 2008, Beijing 2008, Beijing 2008, ah, you know. (laughs) So... So I opened the curtain, right? And I look at it and I see that and I went, and I just shut the curtain again. I was like, <laughs> and I didn't show my wife for three days. I didn't even tell her about it, right? So she's like, come on, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So finally, three days later, I was like, I opened the curtain. I was like, you know, what do you think? And, and, and by the way, James, I, I'm not endorsing billboard theology. So please, please don't leave saying Ralph said, look for billboards for messages from God, you know. But this was a part of our story the personal way that God led us. And and I could tell you the other six or seven really clear ways that God spoke to us, but primarily out of his word and deep in his spirit, in our spirit, he said, trust me and go to China, right? So so we had a lot of other confirmations. So July 2008, I went to China by myself for two weeks to scout it out. And I had had a friend there that was teaching golf, and he said, hey, come join me, teach golf with me, because that's been a part of my life, so I could maybe make an income that way. I was there for two weeks. I looked at houses. I taught with him for two weeks. Everything looked good. And I came home and I said, we're not going to do it. I'm too scared. I don't know if you've ever been scared by something, but a lot of times if God's calling you to something, you will feel uncomfortable. You will feel nervous. And I felt nervous and I felt scared. And at that time, our children were three, four, five, and seven. Is that right? Okay. Our children were three, four, five, and seven, and it just felt like too much. And so with all the confirmation and all the kind of excitement of feeling like God was calling us on a journey and relating to Abraham, um, I called my friend in China, and I said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to come. And when I said that, um, I felt like I had missed something God wanted for us. And so I prayed a prayer. I said, God, if I've missed this, then just come back, bring it back around. I know you'll do that. And less than a year later, eight, nine months later, I got a phone call from a guy I'd never met who didn't know me. We had a mutual friend unconnected to the job offer that I had the previous year. And he said, I got your name. You've got a connection with China with the kids. I know you're a good golfer. I'm looking to expand my golf teaching business in Beijing. Would you be willing to come? I just thought, that's, that's not the voice of Dan. That's, that's the voice of God. You know? so, so we went to China. So let me, let, me, let me read you a scripture here as I continue to tell the story. So I look at the life of Abraham. One of the most inspiring verses in the whole Bible to me is James chapter 2, verse 23. And it says this, talking about Abraham. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous 
because of his faith. And here's the sentence. He was even called the friend of God. He was even called the friend of God. And that, that scripture has captured me, and I think about it all the time. What, what does it mean to be the friend of God? I would love to be a friend with God. You know, and of course, we're a friend with God through Jesus. But as I look at Abraham's life, you know, he didn't live his life perfect, right? He doubted. He, he made bad decisions, if you want to study his life. But God didn't hold those things against him. God said, I count Abraham to be a friend of mine because of his faith. And I thought, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a journey like Abraham had. I'm going to leave my home country, and I'm going to go to a place I know nothing about because I think God's calling me. Um, and I'm so glad that we did because God was so faithful. So we moved to China. We left three good jobs. My wife had a good job. I had a, a full-time job at a church and a part-time job teaching at a school that I really enjoyed. We had a great foundation of friends and family. My wife's family's in Orlando. We're very close to them. And we packed it all up in 28 suitcases and boxes on the plane, 24 more boxes on a ship, you know, the slow boat to China, literally. And the six of us got on an airplane on March 1st, 2010, and we flew to China. And we flew to Beijing. And Beijing is a city of 30 million people, officially 20 million, unofficial 30 million people. And we knew three of them. And we had no big guarantees that this was going to go okay. But we just, we just decided God's trustworthy. And we're going to go. So we land. Two vans pick us up with a bunch of Chinese people we'd never met. And they didn't speak English. And we found them through signs and some other people. And we drove to the house that we'd never seen, that we had rented. We saw some pictures on the Internet. And uh, Beijing's pollution is very bad. I don't know how in touch you are with that. But it was a particularly bad day of pollution. It was about 4.30 in the afternoon. It was very, very gray and depressing. We drove this main road that we take. It's kind of like Route 112 here. Uh, only on steroids, um, like really, really bad traffic and uh, worst traffic I'd ever seen. And it was the winter time. It was actually, well, it was March. And what happens in China is the government controls when you can and can't have heat into your home. And they had just turned the heat off a week before we got there. So none of the homes had, had heat. And then a cold front hit and snow came. And so for the first month that we were in our home, we walked around in full jackets with gloves and ski caps on, with shoes, and we slept, all of us, under three blankets, with the coat and the hat on. No, no kidding. No kidding. Am I right? Okay. Sort of. She sort of agrees. And I can just remember thinking, what have I done? What have I done? We landed on March 1st. We left on March 1st, and we landed on March 1st or 2nd. I forget the time change stuff. And my first day of work was March 16th. And on March 16th, I went to my driving range where I was going to teach. I sat in the office. It was 25 degrees out, and it snowed four inches. And I thought, man, this is not going too well. You know, this is not going the way I felt like it was going to. I went back to the story of Abraham. Abraham, as he went on his journey, he had doubt. He had fear. He had questions. He had a question basket, right? <laughs> right? Abraham was talking to God about his fears and his concerns about the future as he was on this journey that was unknown to him. And God said this to him in Genesis 15, verse 1. He said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to take that promise as a promise for me from God that he's going to protect us. He's going to be a shield. And so off we went. So our life in Beijing was unbelievable. It was completely different from anything we ever knew. We were a two-car family. I think most families in America, for the most part, are two-car families these days. So we had two cars in Orlando with our four kids, and we went to Beijing and had no car. 
and didn't really have an opportunity to get one easily. And so that puts so much stress and strain on our family because uh, you had to take taxis, but taxis only take four people. Legally, they can't take more than four. I was at work six days a week trying to build a business. My wife's at home with four kids, so she's five people. She can't go anywhere. She doesn't know anybody, and I'm in the snow trying to build a golf business, right? And it's unbelievable, right? So we went through the first several months, and we're just, it's exciting, but we're scared. What's going on here? We got connected to ministry. I'll tell you a little bit about that. But about May, I decided I'm tired of taking taxis to work. My work was eight miles away, so I bought a bicycle. And uh, so I rode my bike to work, you know, in the Beijing pollution and traffic. And I didn't, I didn't know any difference in the early, early time there. So I would ride my bike all happy. I'd use that time to pray, and I would go through villages. I'd go over main highways. I'd go through the woods, and then I would get to my driving range. So it was going well for a little while. Things had warmed up, so what I would do is I would ride my bike, and I would sweat a bit. So I would wear a shorts and T-shirt, and I'd get to work, and I'd have my golf clothes there to change into at the driving range. Well, I'm going along, uh, you know, not too long after I've got the bike, and um, I was going down this side road, and I got hit from behind by a motorcycle. And I went up in the air. I didn't have a helmet on, not a good idea. And I was going pretty fast. He was going really fast. And so my bike went right out from under me. I went up in the air, and the only thing I thought of, this is going to hurt. That's what I thought, right? So I landed on my left side, and I slid across the pavement in shorts and a t-shirt, going fast, and as I slid, my head snapped back, and I hit the ground, and I got knocked out, and uh, so I kind of came to after two or three minutes, and there was a crowd of Chinese people around me, right, and they're all talking Chinese, because that's what they talk in China, they talk Chinese, right, and I thought, wow, I've gone to heaven, and everybody's speaking in tongues, this is amazing, you know, (laughs) so they, they were very nice, and they're trying to help me, and my bike was all mangled, and, um, you know, two or three minutes into kind of coming to, um, I kind of thought, boy, this hurts a little bit, you know, it was this side, and I was like, oh, this hurts a little bit, you know, and I pulled my shirt up, and I said that, I was like, you know, you know, is there anything there, and they all went, you know, because I just got scraped, so no, nothing broken, but I got, I got injured pretty badly, but I was trying to build a business, and I had 11 lessons waiting for me at the driving range that I needed to give. So I walked my broken bike the last mile to the driving range because I didn't want to give up my day of work and building clients and all that stuff. And so I got to the range. I thought I cleaned myself up. I put on my golf pants and my shirt. I had these khaki kind of lightweight pants on. And so I'm teaching my lesson, and I have an interpreter who I do the lessons through because I say it in English. He says it in Chinese. And about 10 minutes into the lesson, I look over, my interpreter's like this. And he's just looking at me, and I was like, and I looked down, and my leg had continued to bleed in my hip and my back, and the blood had soaked down into my pants, and it soaked through, and it wasn't a good day, right? And I just thought, man, I went home, and it wasn't that night, but it was at some point a few nights later, and I just had this clarity, and I just said, you know, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. I felt like God called me to China, and I trusted him. And we went, and nothing seems like it's going well. And I was confused, you know. I was upset by that, and I talked to God about that. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but you might be in the middle of something, or you might have already come through something that's made you stronger. I don't know. Um, But again, God works through the trials and the challenges of life to grow us. And as we walked through that difficult season, and I had another six-month stretch later on in China that was very difficult. But I can look back to those two times and go, boy, I grew so much. God's so faithful. So I'm in this really trauma 
of what's going on here. What have I done to my family? You know, my wife's homeschooling our kids, which we believe in homeschooling, but it was challenging and, and the whole bit. So I went back to Abraham's story again because he's my guy, right? I've been studying Abraham for about 10 years. So this is amazing. Look at what happens in Abraham's story. Abraham does what I did, or I did what he did, I guess, since he did it first, right? Um, he goes where God calls him to. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Abraham had gone to where God called him, and it says this, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. Wow. He showed up right where God called him, and it was in the middle of a famine, right? And then not too much time elapses in Genesis 14:1, and in the same place it says this, About this time, war broke out in the region. I think Abraham was sitting up one night going, Wait a minute. I was following God. What happened here, right? Poor Abraham had famine and war. I just had a couple of bumps and bruises and, you know, had to learn how to eat with chopsticks. That wasn't so hard, you know. (laughs) Following God is a great adventure. And it's something that I learned in China is that God will allow the hard seasons in our life to draw us closer to him. I'm not afraid of hard seasons. I don't want to go through them. But I've grown to the point where I know it draws me closer to him. And I know he's faithful, right? And so kind of share that just to start off. But, but we did have some fun things. And by the end of our time, we were thriving in so many ways. Uh, but one of the really, really neat things for us was um, we did eventually get a car, which is a whole other God story I won't tell you. But we learned how to get outside of Beijing, these 30 million people. And once you get outside of Beijing, it's mountains and it's lakes and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, and there's also this wall they have in China, right? And we found this retreat for our family that we went to often um, about two hours north of Beijing where we would hike on the Great Wall as a family. We would take a walk about an hour and a half uphill, up the mountain, to the wall. Then we would walk and hike on the wall. I'll show you a few pictures, and uh, there'll be a point to all this. But I'm going to push this thing. I don't know if I'm gonna, this is going to work or not. Oops. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'll protect you. At that time of severe salmon, about that time. There we go. There's the Great Wall of China, right? So, beautiful place, amazing, and so we found this retreat outside of Beijing for our family, uh, and it renewed us and it refreshed us, and this is what we would do. This is my wife and our four kids, whatever ages they are there, and (laughs) this is a little village two hours outside of Beijing, north of Beijing, where we would launch from, and we would hike through the woods, and this is my daughter Amanda, whose birthday's coming up. And my wife in the background there, um, I won't tell you how old she is, <laughs> I'm smarter than that, but we would climb up right through all that stuff, and we would climb the Great Wall of China, like this is the unrepaired part of the wall, like they've never repaired this, this is hundreds and hundreds of years old. So if you look real close, I'm going to try this laser because it's really cool. Here's my oldest daughter at the top of this part of the wall, my two other daughters, and then down in the bush right here, if you can, I don't know if you can see my son, but there's his head right there. And um, it actually looks a little dangerous, doesn't it? I, I don't know where the parents were in that picture. That's a, I, I was taking the picture, okay? I, took, I don't know where my wife was, but I was taking the picture. So God gave us a spot, and we would bring the iPad, and we would play worship songs at the top of the Great Wall. And it was hard work to get up to the top, but every time we got there, it was amazing. It was absolutely stunning. I'm so grateful that my two daughters, our two daughters from China, got to walk the Great Wall. It's such a part of their heritage and their history. 
And just, just incredible places. This is my wife, by the way, after a two-hour hike uphill with a backpack and four kids. So not, not bad at all, right? And uh, then, you know, there's me there all proud of myself because I made it. Um, so um, <clears throat> the thing and the reason I show you the Great Wall is that the Great Wall of China is absolutely spectacular. Has anybody been there? Some of you sometimes? Okay, good. You've seen it. You don't disagree with me, right? It's a spectacular um, accomplishment feat. The views are amazing, absolutely stunning and beautiful. Um, and so the first time that I was bringing, we were bringing our kids there, I had been to it before them. Um, but the first time we were bringing them, we're taking the drive, and we were about 10 minutes in the car driving to where you're going to see the Great Wall up in the mountains as you're driving. And I'm all excited. My kids don't really care. You know, they're fighting over iPads and all that kind of stuff. So I did what my dad always did when we were traveling somewhere. My dad would always be like with my sister and I, hey, whoever sees, you know, whatever it might be, whoever sees the bridge first, I'll give you $2. You know, that was my dad's thing. Then we'd be looking for the bridge. So I said to my kids, whoever sees the Great Wall first gets five RMB. RMB is Chinese currency. It's about 75 cents. So I wasn't too worried about it. So, yeah. So, of course, as soon as I say that, what does my son say? My son says, I see it. I see it, Dad. There's no way you can see it yet. And I know that. We're 10 minutes away, right? I can see it, Dad. I'm like, no, no, I've got to verify it for you to get the money. He's like, it went behind that house, you know, but I saw it over there, you know. So we're driving two or three more minutes. And then my youngest daughter, who's eight now, she was six at the time, and she got so excited. And she couldn't even form words. She just started, noise just started coming out of her mouth. You know, and then she said, Dad, I can see it. I can see the Great Wall of China. Let me show you a picture of her on what she thought was the Great Wall of China. <laughs> Isn't that great? And we, we did the same thing. We laughed and we thought it was really cute and we loved it. We thought it was funny. But you know what? In that moment, God spoke to me. And I want to say the same thing to you I felt him say to me. See, Abby had a problem. She had no idea how big the Great Wall was. She had no concept for it, so she was willing to settle for something so small. And you know what God said to me? He said, Ralph, you've got the same problem. He said, your picture of who I am in your life is too small. And you've been living with fear, and you've been living with doubt, and you need to have a bigger picture of who I am. You want to ask me that the primary lesson I learned in China? I learned that God's bigger. Whatever your concept of who God is right now, it's too small. You need a bigger picture of who God is. God has never had a stressful moment in his life, and he never will. There's never been a moment where he's been out of control. And you know where I feel the most stress in my life? Because I'm trying to control all my circumstances. I'm trying to control what's happening with my wife and my kids and my money and my time. And I get so uptight. And I get so filled with the unfruits of the Spirit, you know. I get so filled with fear and worry and I don't sleep at night. And I've been through all that stuff, you know. And what God is saying is, I'm in control. You don't have to be. You walk with me. You trust me because I'm big enough, you know. So Abby's got her little picture. I've got that picture in my office in Florida because I never want to forget the lesson that God taught me through it. God's big enough. God's big enough. So... Abraham, at some point in his story, he got that, and he understood it. 
Um, and there, there's a verse, it's an unlikely verse in, in Genesis 13, but it's, it's one of the key verses in my life, in my walk, in my understanding of God. Because Abraham did what I did, I did what he did. He moved to a foreign land, and he was a businessman. He had cattle, he had sheep, he had things like that. And he was running his business. And he needed fields and space in order for his business to run, for his cattle to graze and all that stuff. His nephew Lot was also there with his cattle, and they had a business problem. Anybody ever have a business problem before? Ever have a partner or a competitor that you bumped heads with, right? What do you do when that happens? In business, you have to be tough, right? In business, you have to take everything you can for yourself. You have to block out the other guy, girl, right? It's not what Abraham did because Abraham got to a place where he understood that God's big enough and that Abraham doesn't have to control everything. So Genesis 13, 9, it says this. Abraham and Lot have a problem because the fields are not big enough where they are and their cattle and their herdsmen are fighting. Their business is at odds. Abraham says this to Lot. He says, the whole countryside. Oh, I get it. I'm supposed to push this. Oh, that's Mr. Hu. Never mind. Okay, we'll get back to him. Um, Genesis 13, 9. The whole countryside is open to you, Abraham said to Lot. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. And if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. See, this is so important because what Abraham was saying was, I trust God so much that I don't have to control this situation. There's a maturity in a walk with God when you can say, I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to apply kingdom principles in my life. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm going to trust God. Now, it's all making wise decisions is a good idea in business. I don't mean to say it's not. But Abraham just said, I trust God so much. Lot, You take the best of whatever you want, and I'll just go in the other direction. Me and God will go that way. And Lot, Abraham was modeling something very important. And I know you know this because... You're here this morning, but let me just remind you, because I have to get reminded, your provision doesn't come from your talents. Your provision doesn't come because you were smart and you entered a good industry that, that keeps money flowing in. What you and I have comes by the grace and the gift of God, right? Every day we're healthy and we can work and be productive is a gift from God. And Abraham got that, and I'm starting to get it at 49 years and 8 days, so... Really, really important. So a couple of other things like that happened in China. I could talk all day, and I won't. Um, but God was so faithful to us. Like, I just want to scream it. God was so faithful to us. When it came to finances, we went to China without a big guarantee, didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I would be able to build a business because I had never taught golf for a living. I had played golf. I was a money spender on tour, but I had never taught golf for a living. So here I am in a foreign country teaching golf through a translator who didn't know which end of a golf club to hold. He had never seen golf before. And I'm trying to teach him how to translate, and it was, there was no guarantee, right? So we looked at our budget before we left to decide how often we would come back to America because it's important when you're in another country, you know, and you're living, and, and we did do ministry there. I'm not even talking about the ministry stuff, but we were... By God's grace, deeply involved in ministry while we were there. Um, so do we come back every year, six of us, fly from China? That's twelve dollars to $14,000 for that trip, uh, for us to do that. Can we do it? No, we can't do it. So before we leave, I tell my wife, we're going to budget every two years. 
we're going to come back. So we're getting ready to leave. March 1st, 2010, we're going to leave. End of February, some friends from our church in, in Florida praying for us. I said, hey, you guys going to be back next year? I said, no, we're going to come back in two years and blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know what, that's just not acceptable. We, we want you guys to come back more often than that. So we're going to give you guys money towards a trip back at the end of this year, meaning 2010. And so we had trouble with that, but ultimately we accepted the gift. And they gave us enough money that we could buy tickets and come home. We still spent some of our own money, too, on the trip. But it was very nice. Great provision, right? And we really needed to come home and reconnect after that crazy first year in China. So we go back. Now it's 2011. And we're into the end of the summer, into the beginning of fall. And I'm praying about, <clears throat> and I'm looking at our finances, and I'm thinking, we really can't. We really can't come back in the winter of 2011. It's like, it's so expensive. And the money was kind of sitting there, but not really. It was like, we empty all of our accounts if we do this, you know. I'm thinking, I know my family needs to get back and we need to reconnect. And so I was praying two, three weeks about it. You know, God, do we pull the trigger? Do we buy these tickets? Do we just stay the winter in China? And I got a text message from a friend uh, who went to our church in Beijing. He and his wife and their kids lived in Beijing, lived in our neighborhood. And then they had moved to Taiwan like in July of 2011. But they had had marriage trouble, and they had called my wife and I earlier that year, and they said, would you guys talk with us? So we did. We met with them a few times. I think we were help, hopeful, helpful to them a bit. And then they left. That was it. It was great. Glad we were able to help them a bit. So several months after they leave, we're into October 2011, I get a, an email from this guy. And they're in Taiwan, and the email says, hey, uh, send me your bank account information. I'm like... People tell us not to do this kind of thing, you know? We're not supposed to do this, right? And he's like, no, no, it's really me. And, you know, we want to send you guys a gift. You know, we, we appreciate your help. We want to send you a gift. I was like, oh, absolutely. No, we had no, there was no thought of it. We were like, no, we're so glad we helped you. But no, no, you don't have to give us anything. Thanks, thanks, though. He's like, no, really, I just got a big bonus with my job. And we want to send you guys a gift. <laughs> send him my bank account number, Right? And I'm watching my account every day because he didn't say what he's sending, right? So this guy that I, I didn't know that well. My wife knew his wife, his wife much better. We had met maybe three times together. And he sends a wire for 40,000 RMB. And 40,000 RMB is over 6,000 U.S. dollars. And I'm right in the middle of praying about, God, do we, do we have the money to go home? What do we do? And God just drops us in our lap, and God touches this guy's heart, who doesn't even know we're struggling about whether or not to spend money to go home. And the money comes in, and we buy the tickets, and we came home, and it was very refreshing, because God is faithful, right? And I know if you had the microphone, so many of you, hopefully all of you could walk up and go, here's a time God's been faithful in my life. You know what I'm guilty of? I forget all the times God's faithful. So thank you for bringing me here so I can share some of it and remember it myself. But it wasn't just financial, you know. We, we go to China, and Socially, we know three people. We, we showed up, and two of them were in the middle of a divorce, which we didn't know about, and they split, so then we knew one guy. And, of course, we built new relationships. Um, but by the time we left China, we were so fulfilled in the ministry we were a part of, in the life that we were living, in the friends that we had, that we hated to leave. And God did that for us. He connected us with people who are lifelong friends. My kids... Socially, I would come home from work, and I've got the four kids. There'd be nine kids in the house, and the first five kids I'd see wouldn't even be my kids in my house, right? And none of them spoke English. 
Like, really, like I'd walk in, I'd be like, hey, how are you? And I'd be like, oh, Ping Budang, I don't understand. You know, they didn't even speak English. And I'd be like, Melinda, who's this one? You know, and she'd be like, oh, that's Billy from over there. And I was like, do we have to feed him? You know, when does he go home? And <laughs> my kids, my kids had the greatest experience in China. They have friends from over 25 countries, you know. Um, I spent a year and a half studying the language. I got to know it a little bit and had fun interacting with people. God was so faithful. But my wife, I, she should come up here. She won't. It's not the time for it. But she'd have her back because she left her twin sister who they're, they're this close together. We live four miles from them. She left her mom and dad. They're a very close family. We left the church that my wife's been at since 1986 and intricately involved them. And 86 to 2010, that's her home church. And we left all of that. I pulled her away from all that to go to Beijing where I was at the working six days a week she was at home homeschooling kids in diapers in a foreign country. Unbelievable. And what God did in my wife and through my wife in China was, was unimaginable to me in the first few months we were there because she was so plugged in and her life was so vibrant and she was being used by God and loving God and loving other people to such a degree that when I told her it was time to come back home, she cried. We called her family when it was time to come home. And she couldn't get on the phone because she couldn't stop crying because she didn't want to leave. Even, of course, she's happy to be home. God did that for us. God's amazing. Amazing. So, um, <clears throat> scriptures, scriptures, scriptures. Ah, I love God's word. God's word speaks to me. It encourages me. Um, I hope you're encouraged in your walk with God today. I hope you're encouraged. What happened? Why, why did we come home if everything was so good? Um, <clears throat> I worked for a Chinese company, and uh, they sold golf equipment all across China. What I did as a golf instructor for them was a very small part of their business. Our teaching was going fine, but my company was going under. They, they weren't doing well. And um, September 2013, I find out that they're selling our driving range, and my job is ending the end of October 2013. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a little shocking, right? So then it got extended to November 30th. was going to be the last day that I was going to be teaching there. So I had students that were taking me to other driving ranges. I was trying to meet with general managers and driving range managers to try to find another place to teach and do this teaching business. And uh, so I had done five or six of those through October 2013, early November, and nothing was lining up. But I wasn't stressed out because I had confidence God was doing something because my faith has grown. I didn't panic. I panicked at other seasons of my walk with God, but I didn't panic. And so November 30th is going to be my last day. And we're in early November, maybe second week in November. And um, I got an email from my church in Orlando that I'd been at since 1990 as a member and then on staff a bit. And uh, there's been some turnover at my church. The lead pastor's gone, another pastor that I didn't really know. But this guy I didn't really know sent me an email and said, hey, Ralph, can we get on the phone? Like, I have no idea why he's contacting me. Absolutely none. I said, of course. So we set up a phone call. He said, listen, our lead pastor at our central campus, there's multiple campuses of the church, he said he's leaving, and he's going to go to Wisconsin where he's from, and he's going to do a church thing there. And he said, we've, we've been praying about wondering if you'd be willing to have a conversation about coming home and coming on staff at the church, and the job's available December 1st. I'm like, there's not a lot of time between November 30th and December 1st. 
you want to get out your calendar, you can see there's about this much time, right? I'll give you a minute to pull out your phone if you want to look. It's like, there's no time in between, you know? And my wife, you know, I've, every time I make a job change, I have these kind of stories where God just makes it clear. Uh, she, she says, honey, it's not normal. It's not always like that, you know? Um, but without telling you the long story, the short story is God told us it's time to come home after four years in China. Um, and we had a vibrant, vibrant experience there. I want to show you one picture. I'm going to wrap this up. And James, you please come back up here in a minute. These are some of the beautiful faces of some of the people we just grew to love. My wife probably needs a tissue right now. Do you need a tissue? Yeah. And then I'll just tell you, this is Liam. This is my interpreter. This will be the last thing I share with you. Um, <clears throat> Liam was my interpreter for just almost the entire four years that I was there. Liam lives an hour and a half travel time outside of Beijing in a farming village with 500 families. All they've ever done generation after generation is farming. Uh, he didn't have a formal education, but he taught himself English to try to give himself a better life. Drove into Beijing, came to our driving range, said, I can interpret for you. And he didn't speak very good English, but he did speak enough English where we could communicate. And he knew nothing about golf. Um, and the, the last week I was there, he and I went golfing together, and he shot about a million and a half. And, and he loved every swing, every miss, every lake. He loved it all. Um, but... Liam's a believer in Jesus. Liam's a Christian. As a part of our relationship, we got to mentor each other. And truly, he taught me and I taught him. I would go to work and pretty much every day, not every day, but pretty much every day, I'd walk into the office. He was always the first one there. Hour and a half travel time, diligent, hardworking, trusting in God. He'd show up. He'd have everything set up and ready. And I'd walk in the office and I'd say, Dao Gauma, that means have you prayed yet today? Dao Gauma. And he'd say, you know, I haven't prayed yet. I'd say, Come on, let's pray right now. And we would pray together. And I would pray in English, and he would pray in Chinese. And at least three times a month, we would tear up because the presence of God was there. We'd hug each other. As a part of Liam's experience, we baptized him in our, in our bathtub in our house in Beijing. It was awesome. He was afraid of the water going under. He'd never been in a bathtub before. But he wanted to grow in his walk with Christ. And one time we were doing a Bible study at work together. And um, felt like God told me, Liam's like the woman at the well. If you know the story of the woman at the well, she was the only one. She had met with Jesus, and she went back to her town. And she told everybody about Jesus because she was the only messenger in her town, right? And I thought, Liam's like the woman at the well. A village of 500 families outside of Beijing. He's the only one that knows Jesus. And so I said, Liam, you're like the woman at the well, you know? And he's like, <laughs> he didn't know the story, right? So we had to go into the scripture, and I told him the story, and I envisioned him to Liam, you're the one that's going to spread the fame of Jesus in your village outside of Beijing. You know, I was on a, a trip with Liam. Uh, we went to another city. We flew by airplane with some other um, company members, and we did a three-day golf thing in another city. And we were in a van and horrendous traffic. Like, we're trying to go to dinner. It was a two-and-a-half-hour delay. We left at 6.30. We got to the restaurant at 9 o'clock. It was awful, right? We had three, three of the sales girls that sell the golf equipment were in the back of the van, and uh, Liam's in the back, and I'm sitting in the front with a with an American guy. And Liam's talking 100 miles an hour with the cute sales girls in the back, right? He's just, da 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 you know, talking Chinese. And I'm thinking, wow, Liam's really having fun back there, you know, with the, with the girls and talking away. So finally, he takes a break for a minute. And I was like, Liam, what, what have you guys been talking about? And he said, I'm telling him about Jesus. He said, I'm telling him about how Jesus has made a difference in my life. And they're interested and they want to know more. Will you tell them your testimony and I'll translate for you? It's like, here I am, complaining because we're in traffic, and Liam's telling people about Jesus, you know? 
It's just awesome. So what did God do for us in, in China, James? Off the charts. You know, we, we got to baptize, you know, people in our bathtub beyond Liam, and we got to do ministry, and we were in Japan. I did ministry in Japan for a week. Um, but, but all of it added up to I got closer to God because though fearful and doubtful, I stepped out in faith. So I see this property here. I was at your church eight years ago. You didn't have this property. You had another one. And you guys stepped out in faith. And God honors that. So thank you for letting me share. I I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. As you just alluded to, this property was given to us for a dollar. I love it. I love it. From some uh, dear dear friends. I I just wanted to, if you could... Maybe tell the congregation, what is it like for a missionary in China yeah. in terms of the government and control and things right. of that nature? I'm sure right. some people are probably wondering, what is it like and how, giving us your testimony, right. what is it like in general? James, you've got to put your questions in this. In this thing here. <laughs> uh, um, the government control in, in China is very real. Uh, it is very real. You're restricted. The first year, year and a half we were there, we were confident. All of our phone calls were listened to that we would make internationally. We had small groups come to our home, and the neighborhoods where the foreigners live, you have to live in certain areas, and they have neighborhood watchers. And the watchers would come up to our house and look in our window to see who was in our house and what we were doing. And uh, the people that would meet in our home, they'd be like, hey, shut the curtains. We'd be like, no, hey, we'd be waving to them, you know. <laughs> what they want to do in, in China is they want to control groups. They don't want big groups of people to gather. So it wasn't so much that they're against Christianity, but they're against anything that's going to maybe gather people and ultimately against the government. I would say that's maybe a fallacy then. I think a lot of people, that's probably their perception of what uh, it's like for a a Christian living in China. You can share your faith one-on-one. You can do that, no problem. You can pray in a restaurant. We were nervous about doing that. That was no problem. But if you gather a group of Chinese people as a foreigner, you will be removed from the country. And in 2011, I think, oh, sorry, what? It's illegal to be a missionary. Like, I couldn't have been there except that I worked for a Chinese company. So the missionaries all do something else. You know, you're a teacher or a language instructor or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I had to ask you that before you said it. Now, there is... This podcast, I hope you tell other people to listen to this. I mean, a lot of people aren't here today. Tell people to listen to this message. This was one of my favorite. Ralph, I could have listened to you for another few hours, listening to your stories. Paul, Philippians, wonderful. But really, to listen to you this morning, I think every, were you, were you really blessed immensely? So, thank you so much for coming out here. And really, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but just you talk about how big is your view of God for you with your experiences, what that has done for the, for the faith of everybody in here. It's just a different kind of story, you know, and I can get up here and, and Pastor Linda or Pastor Joe, Pastor Tom, and it was different. Well, you, got, you got a treat today. I did. Can you see why we brought him in this place? And he's a real, you're a real normal Christian. You're a normal Christian. Even the way he was kidding around and joking, that's the way Pastor Tom is and, pa- you know, Pastor Linda and Joe and myself. That's how we are as preachers here. We're real. Like, th- this is the way it is. And I, I just loved your, your testimony and, and the stories that you shared with us today. And you're not super spiritual. And, 
you're living the normal Christian life, and I, I thank you for that, brother. Um, well, I want to close with the table. The music team is going to play a song. And Ralph, if I could ask you, would it be all right maybe if you stayed after just for a few minutes? If anybody, you, you need prayer or you just want to talk to him, you have a couple of questions, I'm sure you do. Um, he'll be here for that. Uh, don't let this time go by. This is a special kind of moment where you have somebody in this house, and I really felt the Spirit of God moving just as he was speaking and building that faith for us. As we come to the table this morning, I'm just taking that the theme of his message, that underlying theme, that strand that ran through everything. What is your view of God? Are things too big in terms of your finances? Your finances look bleak. How about your, I don't know, your job, work, other kids, issues at home, your marriage? You just heard a wonderful testimony time and time again from opening up blinds in, in a hotel room and God giving him that visible sign. And you know, God speaks in a myriad of ways. And yes, he speaks first and foremost, as Ralph said, through his word. He speaks through other believers. He, he speaks through situations and circumstances. And many times, circumstances that we don't really like and we're not comfortable in. But as you come to this table, whatever you are going through right now, know that the work on Calvary is finished. And he is here. He overcame. Whatever your problem is, you are you are seated with God in heavenly places. You are at 30,000 feet. Think of being in a plane at 30,000 feet. And God is looking to you in that plane and saying, look down at your problems. Look how small and minuscule they are. You may think they're big, but they're not. Cheers. podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.